1: A big question in today's market, how do you trade by tweet? The question as markets get roiled by a series of competing headlines. Joining us now to discuss Matt Maley, Managing Director and Equity Strategist at Miller Tabak & Company. Matt, how do you trade around tweets?
2: <laughs> Very, it ain't easy. That's for darn sure. Uh, and it's it, you know, it, say trying to trade around and, and, and invest around it. Of course, you got to keep that kind of longer term uh, uh, view of things. But the one the one thing that I, concerns me a little bit about the, the short term, or I say over the next um, a month or two, is uh, that uh, no matter what he, uh, the president tweets. Uh, We have more than just a trade uh, issue to to face uh, with what's going on in Hong Kong. Uh, There's no question uh, we're also seeing a slowdown in the economy and and earnings growth. Uh, And, you know, so there's several different issues that uh, are creating a headwind for the market. And, And, you know, we're six 6% Six percent from the all-time high, which really isn't that much of a decline, uh, given the, the you know the stretched valuations and stuff that we saw before. So uh, I don't think this uh, trade issue is going to go away as it is. Uh, so I think we probably have some more downside here.
1: All right, how much more downside?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. Given given what the uh, uh, is going on right now, I could say, you know, geez, a, a normal uh, eight to ten percent correction uh, would be in the cards, and, and that would not be a big deal. The one little problem we do have, though, of course, is that in today's mechanized tradings with all the high-frequency traders and the algos and and things like that, that we tend to overshoot uh, when the once momentum gets going in, in either direction. So this could become uh, you know, more of a, t- a ten to fifteen percent correction. Uh, uh, again, based on that kind of artificial movement.
1: All right, so let's uh, cue the Fed reaction function here and, and wonder going forward how much the Fed is going to respond to a possible decline of 10 to 15% in U.S. equities and whether it will matter. So what's your expectation there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's one thing I've been saying for a long time is that, uh, you know, the Fed is definitely data dependent and and economically dependent, but uh, they've also proven uh, even more so in the last few years, uh, or last year or so, uh, that they're very market dependent. So I do think that will have an impact. Now, if we get that 10 to 15% correction, uh, uh, that will, I think, uh, get us another two rate cuts this year instead of just one. And uh, if it gets even deeper than that, if we see the same kind of turmoil we saw in the fourth quarter of last year, uh, I think there's a good chance. That they could reignite a uh, QE program.
1: Oh, wow. Reignite a QE program as soon as this year?
2: Uh, I mean, uh, by early next year, if, we, we, if, it, if things become that bad, I, I think that's a good chance of that. But yes.
1: to what end, right? I mean, we're looking at 30-year Treasury yields that are at all-time lows. Benchmark yields around the board are pretty low. What's the goal here? How much is that going to actually ignite growth?
2: Well, I mean, as, uh, as we always uh, as, as do as, as a strategist, I've got to sit there and say, oh, what should what sh- uh, distinguish between what they should do and what they will do. So, what I've just described is what I think they will do. Should they do it? I don't know what, what kind of end that kind of brings, uh, brings in. I mean, to me, bear markets and, and, and recessions, especially the normal ones we have, but we, everybody's afraid that the last two were so bad that, gosh, we're going to have another 50% uh, bear market. Well, usually there are uh, mild recessions and 20 to 25% percent bear markets. They're normal. Those things are healthy. Why the Fed feels that we can't uh, go uh, have one of those is beyond me. Uh, I think it would be healthy if we did that. However, I do think that they uh, do feel it's important to keep the, uh, this uh, expansion going. And that's why I think that's what they'll do.
1: All right. So from a technical perspective, which equity index has the most upside and the most downside?
2: Well, the one thing, the, the one I'm watching the most closely right now, you know, Dave Wilson just talked about it, was the Russell 2000. Uh, you know, it's been a, an important leading indicator for the stock market uh, uh, for you know for many years, but even especially last year when we saw it, it turn down before the rest of the market did, uh, before you know, that, in that fourth quarter correction. Uh, so what I'll be looking for is, is right now it's testing its June lows. Uh, And so any further downside from there uh, will give it a key lower low and probably indicate that the rest of the market's heading a a little bit lower as well, you know, as I said, into that 10 to 50 percent correction territory. And uh, the Russell tends to uh, see a bit of a wider swing, so I think that's probably got more downside than than the S&P.
1: And which uh, industry do you think, which sector of the market do you think is is poised to uh, most underperform going forward?
2: Well, it's, uh, I'm afraid it's going to have to be, uh, you know, some of the the chip stocks and the the semiconductor, I'm sorry, and the tech stocks overall, uh, they've had the biggest move, uh, you know, and, and therefore they'll probably give us the biggest downside. Now, again, I'm not, (laughs) certainly not calling for what we saw in 2000 uh, or anything like that. In fact, I think this will present some great opportunities. And if the Fed, uh, does indeed step back on the accelerator, uh, if people have a little extra cash sitting on the sidelines that they raise now uh, to take advantage of, of an overshoot to the downside, uh, they're going to be uh, uh, they're going to profit very well uh, in, you know, in 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 next year the longer term
1: matt Maley, thank you so much for being with us matt Maley is managing director and equity strategist at miller Tabak and company taking a look at how technical indicators point to further downside ahead a uh, question Walmart shares surging even after Macy's came out with worse than expected results. Looking around, what is the state of the U.S. consumer? How are retailers faring? We are so lucky to have with us Bert Flickinger, Managing Director at Strategic Resource Group, joining us here in our Interactive broker studios. Let's start with Walmart. Shares jumping the most in a year. Uh, solid growth in their e-commerce business. Solid growth uh, when it comes to consumers not seeing a huge impact by technology tariffs. Give us your sense. What's the most important thing we need to focus on in these earnings?
3: Most important thing, Lisa, is Walmart has the best CEO anywhere in worldwide retail and the best leadership team since Sam Walton started the company and ran it from 1962 to 1992. so. So how so? In that uh, Doug McMillan believes in doing what's right. So, for example, in uh, solar, sustainability, environmental, Walmart wasn't there under prior leadership. Walmart is up there with Amazon and Target as being the best in solar power. What's the implication for the consumer and the company is Walmart's able to pay higher prices uh, higher wages to its workers through the savings and the money it's making through environmental and sustainable solar and lowering prices to shoppers everybody's winning
1: let's let's dig a little bit further into salaries or, or wages you know hourly wages walmart has come under a lot of attack traditionally for not paying people that much or having people on in a part-time basis so they don't have to pay them benefits uh, there have been uh, salary increases or wage increases hourly wage increases how has that affected their business
3: it's affected the business in terms of higher worker satisfaction higher productivity higher retention greater uh, consumer satisfaction scores through consumerreports.com, et cetera. So Walmart that was criticized for raising prices because Mr. Sam or Sam Walton, the founder, wrote in his book, My Story, he always paid workers as little as they could. His son, on the 40th anniversary of the Walmart profit-sharing plan, blew up the plan. And Doug McMillan was, for the last five years, record uh, comparison and same store sales since he started because he believes in doing what's right for the worker, which is right for the shopper and right for the community.
1: And has there been a less political pressure on Walmart as a result?
3: there's been less political power uh, Mcmillan who's this uh, son of a uh, Vietnam veteran army doctor uh, took it upon himself to discontinue automatic and semi-automatic uh, weapons years ago so in addition to solar sustainability discontinuing merchandise with the Confederate flag and raising shoppers standards of living through the lowest prices Walmart's had in 10 years and establishing co low price leadership with Winco lowest in the u.s Walmart's uh, winning for the worker, the shopper, and uh, really helping to drive the economy and the stock market today. As you said, Walmart's up almost 5%. The S&P Retail Index, the XRT on the Bloombergs, down almost 1%. So Walmart's really breaking through.
1: Bert, clearly the uh, Walmart earnings inspired you on multiple levels. (laughs) Let's move on to something that uh, may be a little less inspiring, but at least isn't as bad as some people have been expecting. We're talking JCPenney came out with uh, less bad results than people had been expecting. What stands out to you?
3: Lisa, as you've reported well for a long time, is Penny's major debt maturities come up in 2022, 2023. Penny has dynamic new leadership. If they get enough time and financial forbearance, they can turn the company around. Uh, But with uh, declining earnings and same-store sales, they really have to do it between the fourth quarter and into the next fiscal years, you've reported, because uh, the debt covenants and credit lines and terms could be tightened otherwise.
1: Yeah, and it really remains to be seen whether there'll be patience among bond investors when it comes to this name. I want to broaden out generally to see what all of the earnings and the economic data means about the U.S. consumer. Time again, economists come out, they say businesses are pulling back their spending, but still the U.S. consumer is in a good state, solid, continues to spend. The retail sales figure is better than expected. Do you think that this is sort of lagging, a lagging indicator that will slow down based on what we're seeing? Or do you think that this is an accurate read of where we're at?
3: It's bifurcated. As you referenced, Macy's department and specialty stores all struggling. What we're seeing is that common denominator, all the retailers are winning are low price. TJX, Amazon, Aldi, Walmart, Target, BJ's, Costco, and they're all using solar to uh, pay more in terms of worker compensation and lower prices. So with the lower prices, they profitably increase market share while the 20th century proverbial Roman empires of retail are crumbling.
1: So uh, what does that mean? I mean, if, if, if the low cost retailers are doing best, is that does that mean that the consumer isn't doing that well because they're gravitating to the lowest price items? Or does it mean that people just simply can compare prices and want a good deal?
3: As you're referencing, Lisa, consumers can compare prices. But as you've reported this week and on the the Bloomberg, uh, debt for seniors uh, between the ages of 50 to 70 have increased 70 to 100 percent. And as a result, those are the sweet spot for the department stores. So they're really careful in terms of spending. So instead of going to the department store, they go to Burlington, TJ Maxx, uh, Marshalls, and consumers, as you said so well, with its price discovery, whether it's Walmart.com, Amazon, or Alibaba, are getting the lowest prices and uh, buying online or buying off price.
1: So when we talk about Walmart, we have to look ahead to Target too. Target used to be called Target uh, by some in because it caters to a a little bit higher end consumer than Walmart. So there seems to be a battle for a customer between Walmart and Target. Who's winning?
3: Uh, Walmart's winning, but there's an opportunity for both Target and Walmart with the liquidation of Toys R Us is that uh, they both uh, have much more room and should have more space for selling toys, as well as with a record number of rescue pets, puppies and cats being adopted. Uh, growing two to three times more than the birth rate for children in the U.S., uh, pet toys and accessories are going up. And the common denominator they they both have is solar. There are 30 nuclear plants being decommissioned and even more coal. So they're locking in their power rates, number two operating cost at half at the 2019 price for the next 20 years, and Pouring those savings back back into the shopper and their stores and innovation, while uh, the rest of retails like Fred Flintstone, Slate Rock Quarry, just watching the world go by, think it won't change.
1: So just quickly here to tie this all together and put a bow on it. I'm wondering, taking a look at the earnings we've gotten out of the retail sector so far, the retail economic data that we got out this morning. How would you characterize the state of the U.S. consumer?
3: Uh, Dick ask best of times and worst of times from Tale of Two Cities. Best of times, Walmart, Target, uh, Costco, Aldi, uh, TJX, Burlington, the off price le- retailers. Worst of times for the department stores, food stores, drug stores, and specialty stores.
1: Bert Flickinger, always wonderful having you. Thank you.
3: Great to team up, Lisa. Thank you.
1: Bert Flickinger, Managing Director at Strategic Resource Group, joining us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, taking a look at, at Walmart. May become the biggest initial public offering in the chemicals space. China National Chemical is looking to potentially spin off Syngenta uh, with a listing here to discuss what this could mean. Why now? Jason Miner, Senior Global Chemicals Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. So, Jason, China National Chemical Corporation purchased Syngenta back in 2017. Why are they doing this now?
0: Well, the timing is key. So remember, this is a market that hasn't grown much over the last few years, which led to all the restructuring. We had Dow and DuPont merge and put together Cortiva, which is one of the big competitors buyer bought Monsanto. And we all know there have been some challenges there. Uh, And then this year, we had a massive amount of flooding. I think they're looking for a chance to bring this out into the capital markets. And when they time it, they'll have to play around with when they might get a rebound. So with corn prices, Below five, well below $5 and playing with $4 today, those kind of heady earnings growth days of the past have been uh, a long forgotten memory for a while. Clearly, there's some capital to, to come from the market for an interesting idea like this. Um, but uh, timing it has to do with when we could get a bounce from what's been a tough time. So
1: We're talking about pesticides, right?
0: We're talking about both pesticides and seeds. And that's sort of the interesting thing. You used to have one company make seeds and the other make the pesticides. And over the last few years, we created these three new bundles, uh, the Syngenta to Chem China story is one where we put it all together. No one's ever proved that that actually works very well. Uh, so these new pesticide and seed companies, there are really three of them globally, uh, and they're all trying to find their way forward, uh, a sort of an unproven model.
1: Really. What's, the, what's the theory behind some of these tie-ups and sort of uh, some of the speculation about why it might not work?
0: Well, the theory is the one-stop shop, actually. Um, you, you, you used to have a bunch of people visiting the farmer. Some of them are selling him seed and some of them are selling them spray. Uh, the idea is uh, under pressure and with a lot more digital tools uh, coming to the market that you really want to circle that farmer and offer them an app they can put on their tablet that recommends all sorts of things from the seed to the spray. The, the challenge is, does it hurt innovation? Because... Um, You you don't necessarily want one company who thinks of the app and the seed and the spray when deciding what to commercialize. More competition might bring more innovation. That's the concern.
1: Now, when it comes to China National Chemical Corporation, its purchase of Syngenta was one of the biggest by a Chinese company of an overseas overseas firm in history. I'm trying to understand whether this was part of their playbook, part of their mindset when they bought Syngenta that they were going to list it at some point in the not so distant future.
0: So they had said that uh, in the past and I think the challenge is a lot of it has to be seen through the lens of food security. China's crop yields are in many cases half those of the rest of the world and biotechnology of which Syngenta was just one of three global platforms is a key way to boost uh, food security uh, and to boost those yields. Um, The challenge with the idea of the IPO, uh, it does create international legitimacy. It creates confidence from the buyer's Syngenta's footprint is obviously far outside of China. They've got a lot of sales in a lot of countries. Uh, It certainly raises some capital to pay back um, the way that they funded it. Um, But whether or not it's all about earnings growth is the challenge. Because again, part of the play here was probably to help China boost its food security.